0: Welcome to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information and the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by AI Digital at www.ai-digital.com and in episode 56, our pre-Christmas episode, the 12 internet marketing tools of Christmas plus an interview with Ian Oswald, author of The Screencasting Handbook, with an update on screencasting techniques for internet marketers all coming up on Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 56 of Internet Marketing, our last episode before Christmas and I am joined today by Mr. Kelvin Newman.
1: Hello, how are you doing? All right?
0: Yes, thank you very much. I'm absolutely fine, Kelvin. And how are you?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. A bit worried about the impending snow it looks like we're going to be getting down here in brighton which oh, to yeah. anyone around the world where they get lots of snow um like half a millimeter of snow around here is considered like a you know national emergency <laughs> but the fact that there might be you know slightly some hail has got everyone very much panicked so um, yeah. we'll we'll wait and see with bated breath whether we can walk out of the office or whether we've got like half an inch of snow out there later potentially but so- the, the,
0: the idea of a, of a white christmas is very appealing i have to say
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't happen very often, but um, it it would make it feel even more Christmassy um, in the office. Mm. I mean, already I'm putting on the David Hasselhoff Christmas album and that doesn't seem to be getting everyone in the Christmas mood. So maybe some snow could help on that. (laughs) <laughs>
0: and uh, talking of Christmas, uh, in today's show we have the uh, the 12 marketing tool- tools of Christmas from Kelvin, any second now And we have an interview that I did with Mr Ian Oswald We have interviewed him before on internet marketing, I think over a year ago now Ian of course is the expert on screencasting and how screencasting can be used in your marketing activities So an update from Ian later in the show But first, Kelvin the 12 yes. marketing tools or internet marketing tools of, of, of Christmas, what have you got?
1: Yeah, well, basically, there's so many great tools out there that can make uh, someone who's doing internet marketing's life so much easier. But the problem with them is is that you don't know if they're any really good, you don't know how you can use them, you know, and all those kind of things. Mm. So what I've done is I've kind of compiled a festive 12 of um, those that I've used over the past year that I think are really useful, um, that you know, people, some of them you pro- might already know, but... Don't know that you could use them this way, or you might not have heard of them in the past. So, um, yeah, I'll dive straight in with the first one. And this one's been around for years, and it's Google's custom search engine um, tool, which allows you to compile a list of sites um, and then only search within those sites. So then they'll Google index all those sites, and you can um, search within them. So there's some pretty interesting things you can do with that. So, for example, fairly recently we found a you know a network of blogs and um, that that had no followed comments on them Um, and so we then put all these you know um, blogs that fell into that category into this custom search engine Hmm. and then we could search for keywords so we could then find okay is there a blog post about podcasting and then I could then find that blog post about podcasting have a read through it and if I think that there's a comment I can add that will add value to that discussion I can comment leave a link to the internet marketing podcast and that has an seo benefit um all the usual rules of commenting apply here don't leave a comment that's spam you know only add where you can add value but what you know what we were able to do with this custom search engine is find the websites that had no followed links that were talking about topics that would benefit us but you can do it for any kind of things really as well you can kind of put um like there's another one i've been working on um recently where there's a blog role on search engine land and they're they're Basically, this is a list of the 500 best SEO blogs in in the world. So I've then inputted all these in as the, you know, websites to include in this index, but exclude any other website. Mm. So then I know if I search for, you know, real time search in this custom search engine, I know I'm only going to get results from really good websites. So websites that I trust and know that what they're talking about is going to be of some value. But you okay. can do that for any kind of things, really. You know. You could you could do it for your Twitter followers or anything really where there's a group of sites where you only want to search those. So, so let, me get, really let me get this
0: right, uh, Kelvin. Can you basically put the put the little search box on any sites you want?
1: Yeah, basically Google allow you on their little servers hmm. your own little search engine. But rather than being the whole web, you choose only those which are included in that. So index. you
0: could basically use Google to do the search for your website.
1: Oh yeah, you can do all that. Yeah, yeah I've got all yeah. that kind of things as well. But it's it's kind of quite useful as a research tool as well. So it's like kind of I don't want to look at all of the web. I only want to look at this this little you know slice of the web. Yeah, yeah the You web.
0: you can cone it down to certain websites.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you could do that. So yeah. it could be just those that um, you know anything that you've got a list of websites you can input that into a custom search engine and only search within it. So it's a bit like doing, the, you know, where you put site colon, mm. um, you know, bbc um, uk and then search and that would only search the BBC site. But you can do that, but for potentially thousands of sites. Interesting. But, um, but still restrictive. So yeah, some really interesting things and in work having to think about what you can do with that. So that's one we've played about with quite a bit over the last couple of months that I recommend people have a look into. It's a bit old news now, but it's still really valuable and some really clever things you can do with it if you're inventive.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? These things move so quickly that you kind of forget mm. about the older stuff. Uh, laughingly, we say older stuff, stuff that was like over a uh, year old, was I something, two years old.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's still as valuable as it was. Just because it's not new news doesn't mean that it doesn't have a use in you know your internet marketing mm. techniques. So, yeah, next up is one called Majestic SEO, which I don't think we've mentioned particularly um, on the show before, but it's actually a really powerful tool. And what, what it, it, how Majestic SEO started out mm. was they were building their own open-source competitor of Google, right? So they kind of yeah. built an open-source spider, and they were going around spidering every page of the, the web. Well, that search engine is kind of doing okay, but they needed to make some money in the meantime to pay for all the, you know, spidering that they're doing. So they've rel- Released an SEO tool which um, shows the links between websites. Yeah. But what's interesting about Majestic SEO is it's kind of written with an SEO viewpoint in mind. It it tracks more links than Yahoo Site Explorer does, so it has the biggest index of links anywhere in on the web. And um, you know it shows the connections between them, makes some value judgments on which ones are passing value and all that kind of thing. All very useful. But the one thing that really is brilliant about Majestic SEO is you can put in um, a web address into their you know search box and um, so i could put in internetmarketingpodcast.org and it would show me over a period of time how many links that site has acquired mm. so you can then look at the velocity of links that they've been getting because you could have say you're doing seo for your website um, acmewidgets.com and you've only got 100 links but you've got 100 links over the past 6 months you go to your competitor you know acmebluewidgets.com and they've got a thousand links, but they're going down. Yeah. From Google's point of view, the one that's gaining the links there is actually probably more relevant, more topical, more of interest than the one that's got more links but is declining. Because I, you know, I've not got an acronym for it in the way Helen normally would. But there's when I'm looking at link building, there's four things I'm looking to try and achieve with your link building. Hmm. One is to build authority. One is to build anchor text that's got keywords in. One is to build the absolute volume, but the final one is the velocity, the rate at which you're gaining those links. Because actually, you can be not doing so well in those other three, but if you're gaining them at the right rate, mm. Google will cut you a lot of slack there.
0: Interesting. I never thought of velocity of inbound links before.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I think it's a really important ranking factor. And, mm. you know, Majestic is brilliant for showing you relatively how your velocity is doing. So, yeah, have a look at that. And it, I mean, it's even quite interesting to look and see you know you've been doing your various link building campaigns and sometimes you can forget what's been effective but if you look at that and say oh well in june we shut up quite drastically that's when i did that white paper maybe Mm -hmm. i should do some more of those you know it's that kind of um, level of insight that's quite interesting as well Sure. So that's Majestic. Is there a URL for that, Calvin? Uh, um, I'll, I'll send across um, and including the show notes, all of them. I think it's just majesticseo.com, but I will okay. double check on on that one. If you Google Majestic SEO, it will come up. But I'll make sure in the show notes we've got links for all all twelve of um, the, these tools. Yeah. So yeah, the ne- next next one.
0: Sorry, Calvin. Just before oh, yeah. we go on to the third one, uh, just yep. just reiterate to the to the listeners. Uh, that there is a url people can go to isn't there at the moment uh if they want to have a look at show notes and things is it still internetmarketingpodcast.com yeah
1: and dot org dot org if you go to to internetmarketingpodcast.org that will redirect you um to an area of the site visibility blog which only has the podcast there okay so you'll be able to download any of them but if you're listening to this you can already download it so we'll, we'll kind of ignore the fact that anyone can download it but also there's a blog post for each show which has all the show notes there and they're all hyperlinked through wherever yeah. we reference something. So okay. I know that a lot of people listen when they're in the car mm. and then want to check out the tools later or when they're on the train. Yeah, go, go to internetmarketingpodcast.org and you'll be able to get all the show notes there and the links through to all the websites.
0: So that's the home for the podcast on the web for the time being. I know we're going to make it a slightly yeah. easier than that in the future, aren't we? But that's where it is at the yeah, time being.
1: Yeah, yeah, that just looks the same as a normal blog. You know, We'll try and make it a bit more podcast specific in the future but we wanted to make sure that there was one place where everyone could get the show notes so So, so, yeah
0: internetmarketingpodcast.org yes right number three
1: yes um, I got on about this a few times in the past um, on the podcast and that's because I think it's such a brilliant tool which is Google Insights for Search And this is, again, something that shows you trends over time, but it shows you search volume trends over time. So you can put in any keyword or any series of keywords and look at where they're doing very well. Mm. So, for example, um, if, you know, this being Christmas, there's certain products which are going to have increased in popularity over Christmas. But they're not always things that are obvious, like people searching for Christmas or Christmas tree. They can be particular products. So, you know, a good example is, you know, I was surprised on a little side project I've got. I suddenly started getting a load more traffic around hair straighteners. And I was like, well, why am I getting more traffic around hair straighteners? I wouldn't have thought that there was a huge trend here. Mm. But then actually it transpires lots of people are buying them as a Christmas present. But whenever you're looking to target a keyword, I recommend putting it in Google Insights for search and seeing when the seasonal peaks are. Because it might well be that actually... um, when you're looking at the volumes now it's like very low but actually no one searches around this time of year they all search in june or january or whenever it is that people are searching and you compare terms relatively so i could put in um, hair straighteners and hair dryers say if i'm an online retailer selling those kind of things and i can see when the peaks in demand is but relatively how popular they are as well they don't give you exact numbers in terms of, um, you know, you will get 10,000 visits if you rank on this term. But mm-hmm. they do show you relative popularity there. And I think that's really good for looking at it, particularly if you've. You know, a problem you occasionally get that we get for clients is they're ranking really well for a keyword. They're, you know, number one, number two, and they've stayed there statically. But actually, their search engine traffic's not heading in the direction they would like. It's either stayed static or declined slightly. And they're like, well, our rankings are doing well. Why aren't we getting the people coming through to the site to actually visit? Quite often, you can see that there might be a terminal decline in the number of people searching for that term. And you sometimes can't appreciate that. Unless you look at this kind of search data that Google have got, sure, you yeah. can you can drill it down by country. So you can say, okay, well, um, here's all the you know. I only want to look at the people in the UK. I only want to look at the people in Australia, or only the people in the States, or you can look at worldwide. But it yeah, it's a you know, it's amazing for looking and seeing you know what's happening with your search terms.
0: It's this temporal thing again, isn't it? The, the importance of timing, uh, sort yeah. of, whether it be seasonal or just a general trend.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate that, you know, you you don't expect everything, you know, things vary over time, don't they? You know, in Mm. a normal business, if you've got a shop, you have busy months, you have quiet months, you know, it's the same for any kind of business. It's the same for search terms, you know, people will search in, you know, particular periods of time for particular things, you know. And if you can coincide your success with that, i.e. do your piece of um, viral content around the time when people are looking for that kind of content or you start your link building three months before the peak, because you know that it will take three months for your link building to drop through, or Mm. you know, to save your pay-per-click when you even simple stuff like, okay, I've got, you know, a thousand pounds to spend on pay-per-click, um, per month, but no one searches in February. Then you want to move that money around into a month when people are searching. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant one. And the next one up is Yahoo pipes. And this is kind of a huge, Um, tool that you can use but what it allows you to do is kind of it's a visual flowchart way of doing some quite complicated programming and if you're like me and you're rubbish at programming it's a godsend
0: what what does it do kelvin
1: well it kind of allows you to do some various kind of filtering type things so the the main way that i use it is i can get several RSS feeds, combine them. I could search those RSS feeds and then I can output them as another RSS. That's so cool. to give you a good example, there's, a, I'll include in the show notes a, a link to this, but there's a blog post we did in the past where I know on Yahoo Answers, people might be talking about me, but I don't want to go and check every day to see if they are. So what I, what I did there is I took a feed of, um, a a, a, se- a couple of sections of the Yahoo Answers site, mm. um, Put them all in, combine those feeds, and then search them for my keyword. So, you know, I could set one up that said, okay, well, I want to look in the marketing section, I want to look in the internet marketing section, and I want to look in the entertainment section. I combine all those questions together, mm. and then I search for the word podcast. Okay. And whenever someone says podcast, that then goes to an RSS feed, um, which tells me someone's asking about podcasts. And then I can have a look at that question and see if there's actually an opportunity for me to. Kind of add my opinion on that, and you can do that for any number of keywords. And there's lots. Of, that's just one basic way that I've used it, but it's great that you can combine feeds or you can extract feeds, and it's yeah. kind of a great way to you know program around feeds if you're not a pro. So
0: it's all based around feeds, is it, Kelvin?
1: Um, yeah, that's. Or you, it can pull content from sites, kind of in a, a bit right. more of a scrapy non-RSS um, content. I, I've spent hours with it and you know have only begun to scrape the surface of the things you can Mm. do with it and i think it's really underappreciated as a tool in terms of particularly if you kind of you know if you're kind of one of those creative people who don't necessarily know how to you know work with apis or work with fees but you've got an idea for something you want to try and do have a look at yahoo pipes because there's a good chance it might be able to help you do it and there's some they, on the site they've got examples of other people's pipes that you can use or mm. that you can edit and use to 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 bake, um, to bake your own.
0: Interesting. Now I see. I'm interested in that purely from a aggregating RSS feeds together standpoint.
1: Well, even in the simple sense, that it could be okay. I don't want you know in my Google Reader account to have 700 feeds. I only want to have two. You know, mm. you can do that. It combines them all together. You don't care where they come from as long as you can read through them. Mm. You know, or for brand, you know, brand online reputation monitoring, so I kind of want to know. Because okay, you could make a great online reputation tool using Yahoo Pipes. So you go, okay, well, I've got Twitter search that has an RSS feed. I've got Yahoo Answer search that's got an RSS feed. I've got this forum search that's got an RSS feed. You combine all of them together and then mm. output that as one you know, um, brand awareness um, RSS feed.
0: Now, see, I learned in the last few days because I was doing some work for a client and this client wanted, um, he had a blog and he wanted it so that whenever he did a blog post, it would also appear on his facebook page mm-hmm. and i have a i had a devil of a time trying to do this i, I had a devil of a time a time trying to find something that would actually write to a to a, a facebook page as opposed to a profile and eventually i found out how to do it and basically a facebook page has a thing called notes and yeah. notes can be automatically generated from an RSS feed. You have to dig down a bit to find it. But this Google Pipes would be a quite nice way of doing it, because if you wanted it to be based on not just a blog, but maybe also a podcast as well, for example, or, or more than one RSS feed, maybe you could use uh, Yahoo Pipes to combine them and then send that into the notes on Facebook.
1: Just Yeah, no, definitely. No, that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. There's some interesting ways of trying to get your content into Facebook, and I know it's not always as straightforward as it should be. So that no. sounds like sounds like it's a good find there, Andy, on your, your point of view of how, how you can do that, but definitely.
0: What's number five?
1: It's called Feed My Inbox, which follows in quite nicely from the Yahoo Pipes one. Um, it's an RSS widget again, but basically. Sorry, did it say
0: Feed My Inbox?
1: No, Feed My Inbox. Feed so, My Inbox, okay. Yeah. And what this does is. You know, there's certain things that you're going to want to get on an email rather than in an RSS feed. Because to check your RSS feed, you have to log into your reader. You have to read through stuff. Whereas actually, a lot of the time, you kind of want something just to appear in your your, um, inbox. Mm. The way that I've used this internally is at Site Visibility, we've got a delicious account where anything that we think the rest of the team should be interested in, we tag using a certain keyword. Um, And that then, there's an RSS feed off that. But trying to get everyone in the office to go and check that RSS feed or sign up to it in their subscriber or they might not actually use RSS is really difficult. So what I wanted to do was get that to come to everyone's email address. Mm-hmm. So they get like a little site visibility newsletter just the stuff that other people in the team thought was interesting. Um, and to do that, you, you just use this tool called Feed My Milks. It's really simple. You go to the site, you put in your email address, you put in the address of an RSS feed. Yep. And it sends it to you via email. Not complicated, not special, Brilliant. but just, you know, something that kind of is quite handy.
0: So it's basically an RSS to email converter.
1: Yeah, and it works really pretty reliably as well. You know, because I've used a few in the past and they've been a bit hit and miss, as it were. But this one seems mm. to really work quite well. And I've used it over the last six months and, you know, never missed a beat, really.
0: Brilliant. So that's Feed My Inbox.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think that is just FeedMyInbox.com. Again, I'll send the notes. You know, that'll be on the show yeah. notes. And, we'll put links in the um, show notes. Cool. Um, yeah, next one is um, SEO Book, which is a really good website about SEO. They've got their toolbar, like a Firefox toolbar, and I can't have a browser set up anywhere without having this toolbar in it. I can't recommend this one highly enough. It gives you some great information on on any page that you're on. So it'll tell you the page rank of that page. You know, really good and so right. It um, automatically for that page tells you how many people are linking to that website as a whole. Mm-hmm. How many people are linking to that? page um so you can tell like okay well this site gets a million links but actually only two people have linked to this page so that you know that page isn't very popular mm-hmm. it takes you through to that majestic seo report that i was talking about so you hit oh, yeah. that and it automatically queries lots of other things it tells you as well it tells you the compete score so how many people are there it you can hit a button and it shows you what links and they followed um it you know allows you to check the search engine rankings of those but you know it's really really quite powerful what it'll tell you to do i mean i use it just for the the, the page rank and link counts uh, hmm. but everything else it tells you is really quite valuable as well so it's a really good way to make an assessment of how good a page is when you visit it so if you're looking at your competitors you know why they're ranking well or why they're not ranking well or are they not doing very well on seo but they still get tons of traffic and then you can yeah. kind of work out what they're doing to to do that
0: does it uh you say it's a toolbar kelvin is that right
1: Yes, yes. At the moment, um, I think it's only for Firefox, but I think okay. I would would imagine there'll be one coming soon for Chrome if there isn't already. What about IE? Do you use IE, Andy?
0: No, I normally steer well clear of it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I can understand if you're in, a, in an office where you, you have to use a particular piece of software, you would use IE, but if you get any choice in the matter whatsoever, um, go for um, Firefox or Chrome. The number of plugins yeah. and extras oh, wow. that you can get with it just make it so much easier. E, you know, ignoring any like all microsoft or evil stuff i I don't get into that i just go with what makes my life most useful yeah the plugins you get in firefox are just tons better chrome is so much quicker so i go for one of those two or if i'm on the mac i use safari or firefox
0: yeah sure okay number seven
1: number seven yeah another um feed related one which i didn't realize we're noting this all but there's actually a bit of a theme there this one's called twitter feed i think it might have helped with your um, Facebook query you were dealing with, but essentially this started out as a site that you put in your RSS feed yep. and your Twitter account, and it'll automatically tweet anything from that RSS feed to that Twitter account. Okay. Yes, so- it
0: could be used. Yes, it could be used in that yeah. way um, for uh, block. Yeah. So basically, it's an RSS to Twitter converter.
1: Yeah, but I think they also do RSS to Facebook now as well. So ah. I don't know if that works for pages. I think it only goes to status updates. So Yeah, this you... is the problem
0: with, with, with Facebook. Page updates are tricky.
1: Yeah, but ignoring all that stuff, this is brilliant as well. That if you've got your blog, you've got your Twitter account, mm. you can automatically um, tweet stuff into that account. I would never recommend having a Twitter account that's just feeds. You need to interact with people. You need to build relationships. But sometimes you don't want to go, okay, I've remembered I've done that blog that i scheduled two weeks ago i need to cut and paste that in and mention it so Mm. it's quite good for those kind of things in the background that you know you're doing you just want to share with people really
0: what's your opinion kelvin on this sort of um scattergunning approach where for example you do a blog post automatically appears in twitter automatically appears on a facebook page do you have a, a definite one way or the other opinion on that
1: um I mean it's something more annoying than when you follow someone on three or four different networks and you suddenly get the same message in three or four places at once. Mm. So generally I recommend avoiding um, avoiding automation. Try and make it personal and realistic. But on the flip side, I know that everyone's busy. They can't, you know, go and update all of these. The way I tend to do it personally, and I think this makes sense, is knowing your audience on those networks. Yeah. So the thing is on Facebook. You've probably got, your, you know, you might have your mum, you've got your sister, you've got your cousins, you've got, you know, the bloke you used to go to uni with, you've got the bloke you go down the pub with. Do they really care about your latest blog post? If the answer's no, you shouldn't be updating your Facebook status with that. If your Twitter account you use to keep in contact with people from your industry, then it makes a bit more sense to promote what you're doing on there. But I always try to try and make it obvious that it's your own link, you know, so it's kind of, you know, you know, personal plug You know, because in Twitter feed they allow you to add little bits to the beginning or the end, so you could say "from my blog," da da da, and that kind of thing. I, it's difficult because you know wherever you've got an audience, you want to get your content there. But I think anything that makes you seem like a robot Uh, makes you less personal, and people like people; they don't like robots, do they? So absolutely, it's a a, you know pros and cons. You know, if it saves you a lot of time and helps you avoid missing things, there's a pro to that. But there's going to be a con that. It's not a, not a real tweet, is it? And people can tell because when when they get their you know status updates, it tells you where it comes from. Yes. So you can you can see it's quite interesting when you see people who you think are real people, but they're actually you look and it's coming coming via the, um, the Twitter feed. So actually they've scheduled all these um, you know updates in advance, which is kind of fair play to them if they can make it seem like they're a real person there. Then you know fair play. But on the flip side, you kind of want to make it real, don't you?
0: But social media is all about transparency and being real, isn't it?
1: yeah very much so very much so mm-hmm. so Twitter feed is great to you know do some heavy lifting, but it shouldn 't be the be all and end all of your account, so I would say never yeah. have more than sort of maybe ten fifteen percent of your tweets all automated yeah. or at least yeah. you, know, or, you know automatic retweets of stuff that you 've kind of done automatically. I think there 's a place for it, but don 't make mm. it all that your account is
0: yeah, I think that 's a, a subject for for possible later discussion. Yeah. Uh, so that was number seven. What's number eight?
1: Number eight is a tool called a Know-Em, um which is basically "no" as in I know you and M as in E-E-M. Um, and what this does is a, you put in your brand name or your personal name and it searches hundreds of social media sites to see if that name is available. And the benefit of this is, one, that it helps you find out if someone's pretending to be you which is, you know, really bad news. Or, you know, B, it helps you register all those now so no one else can pretend to be you in the future. So say, you know, say you're, you know, Bob's swimming pools. You don't want, um, you know, your main competitor registering that one and saying horrible things about you or registering it so you can't get it. And so if you go to the site, you put in your username and it will search hundreds of these sites and tell you if it's registered or if it's not and if it's not registered it takes you through quickly to um you know set up your own account there so it really it sounds a there.
0: little bit like how sociable
1: yeah it's like how social, but it seems hmm. to um it's a bit wider of the reach in terms of it it right. queries more sites than um than, yeah, than how social. and i mean the thing that how now make money is they do this but then actually if you want them to you can pay them and they'll set up all the accounts for you. So they provide the tool for free, you know, classic freemium model here. They provide the tool for free. You can then do it yourself or if you want to save time, they'll do it for you for, you know, 300 or $400 or how much it is. I don't know whether it's worth the money to register all those accounts and get them to pay for it. It might be depending on how busy you are, but yeah. it's worth having a look just to see if anyone's pretending to be you or whether there's any sites you thought you'd register an account for, but you don't.
0: Okay, brilliant. Number nine.
1: Number nine, and this is, I don't know how you pronounce this. I've only ever seen it written down. It's Omgili. um, So it's O-M-G-I-L-I. And this is a search engine for forums. So it's pretty straightforward. But if you want to find out where people are having discussions about your your niche or niche to our American friends, Mm. uh, where they're talking about you in forums, you can do that. So google's really terrible they've got their blog search they've got their you know image search they do all them really well i don't know why they've never done a forum search mm. um where it only searches forums and you know that's really great for finding those so that's really useful from a practical point of view because I, I don't know if you've ever done this andy when you're trying to find out about like i i'd never buy anything online without looking at reviews for it but if you type in something review you just get all those kind of review sites that don't really have reviews so mm. what i've tended to start doing so if i'm looking to buy a new camera i'll put in you know Call cool 7459 or whatever it is, forum. Because I want to find people who are you know really interested in it, that they're talking about it in a forum yes, and then hear what their opinion is. So this is quite good for that as well, just kind of from a non-business perspective. If you want to find out what people are talking about, something you're going to buy, have a look on this jelly.
0: I wonder how I'm jelly knows that a page is a forum.
1: I mean, you could do it. You know, the way I would go about doing it if I was building one of these search engines is there's only five or six um, sort of wet, you know, in the same way you've got Blogging platforms, there's only five hmm. or six forum platforms. So you've got PHP, BB, oh, yeah, you've got, um, you know, I've been using the the WordPress one, BBPress, which I rate really highly as well. So there's only about, you know, a dozen or so of these. So you could probably quite easily determine what the footprints are of those kind of CMSs. Yeah. Then query Google or someone to find all those. And then that becomes your kind of your basis of search results. They might be doing something a lot more complicated than that, but that's how I'd go about doing it if I was setting one up. Hmm. So that's on Jilly. What's number yes. 10? Number 10 is SpyFu. Um, <laughs> ends is, in Foo. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's Spy, like James Bond, followed by FU. Um,
0: oh, FU, not FOO. Right, okay. What does SpyFu do?
1: It started out, and it's got a lot more functionality than this now, but essentially it tells you where your competitors are getting their traffic from and how much they're paying for their pay-per-click. So if you, you know, oh, you know, this guy's really spending a fortune on pay-per-click but I don't know where he's actually getting his traffic from or are they actually spending a fortune on pay-per-click? I don't know. You put in your name or your competitor's name or your keywords and it'll give you a snapshot of how much they're spending. So it's really good if you know that you've never done any pay-per-click in the past but you've got no idea how much money you need to spend like how much am i going to have to invest in this but you know that a competitor is doing pay-per-click you can put in their name and it'll give you a nice estimate of how much they're spending and how much you might need to spend to get the same kind of level of exposure so it estimates yeah it is an estimate and it's with all these ones it's always you know you have to take the results with a pinch of salt but yes it's a really good place to start
0: Spyfoo, i like the name
1: yeah, and that's a good one. And um it's got it's got some nice graphics there as well. They keep the spy theme going throughout there, so all of their hmm. icons and their fonts and adverts and all those kind of thing.
0: What's number eleven?
1: Number eleven. It's not one I've yeah. used um, personally here, but actually one that um I was talking to Helen in the run ups of the show about she recommended using. Hmm. Um we, you know, we kind of talk a lot about the various internet marketing tools that you use online, but actually forget that quite often you need to create an image, or you need to create, you know, a banner ad, or you need to create something like that. And, you know, not everyone can afford to buy a license of Photoshop because it, you know it's pricey, or mm. you know, or or know someone who's got a dodgy copy that they've sent to them. Yeah. Um, but there's GIMP, which is kind of an open source version, which d- oh, you know does ninety ninety percent of the stuff um, that that Facebook can do, but for you know no real cost there. So, yeah have a look at that and see yeah it's do. it's
0: uh, gimp is like an open source equivalent of, of photoshop elements would that be a fairly good way of describing it
1: yeah i think that i think that's yeah. fair enough yeah mm. and yeah it's not got the, the huge fee of you know photoshop that you've got there yeah. so yeah. it allows you to kind of like play about with some images and that's really important because people forget you know you can write your blog post and um you know if you've got no images there it's kind of a bit dull looking so always put an image in a blog post the other thing i like doing as well i've been doing a bit of this recently um for clients and the like is if you write a blog post that's going to get you x amount of attention but if you make that a presentation suddenly that blog post you know you put it on slideshare suddenly it's a lot more interesting yeah you know it can have exactly the same content but because you know what not many people make the effort to do that suddenly your same piece of content is 100 times more interesting 100 times more viral so you know i've been doing that so i use photoshop but it essentially is the same so i'll make rather than just use PowerPoint and kind of have some horrible fonts. So I'll find a really nice image on um, Creative Commons that I can use and then overlay some text on that. So it's a nice square image, cool picture, cool text, and then put that in a PowerPoint and you've got a series of those and you've got a presentation. So, yeah, I'd, like, I think probably you know Photoshop is one of my most used pieces of software on my site, and I'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. So, I'd, you know but not everyone can afford or has Photoshop so Gimp's like a great alternative to that
0: right we'll put a link to that in the show notes and what is number 12 these t- are in no particular order I take it
1: yeah they are in no particular order I could have come up with my top ones but I've kind of done it in reverse so the first ones the ones in I true X
0: Factor to- style
1: yeah <laughs> to build up the tension no, no particular over. order <laughs> and back after the break I'll tell you what number 12 no, um, <laughs> no no breaks in the podcast but no the final one is actually one we mentioned um, last week um, when talking about last week sorry last month when we were talking about email marketing platforms with dan and it's called mailchimp um, ah
0: dan likes mailchimp doesn't he
1: yeah yeah no dan and helen both love it and I, I really do as well and essentially what what they do is they'll let you have the first 500 people on your mailing list for free so it doesn't cost you anything to use it. it's only when you get over that 500 people it starts costing you money and actually you know how many people do you have on your mailing list? It's probably not that many. So to be able to mass email and get all the tracking and you know, and do all that kind of thing to under under 500 people for no money, it's just mm. really really powerful. That is and, impressive. I mean, email marketing, you know, it's not, you know, not as exciting as social media and all these other different affiliate marketing and all these kind of things you can do, it. but it works if you do email marketing right it will generate money for a business so to to be able to do that with no real capital investment is brilliant because then you can you know if you're a marketer and you've got to justify your spend to your boss he's not giving you any money to do it do it for free with MailChimp and then when you can you can show him well and this sale came from it and that sale came from it or we had this number of leads or the phone run this many times you can then say well actually we need to spend a bit more money on this or give me a pay rise so I can you know, do this more regularly, or yeah. you know, send me off to go on a course on email marketing, so I can learn how to do this full time and get some better things. So it's a great way to kind of test the water on these things.
0: Does it have all the features of things like you know, a Weber and Get Response and um, i, mean, I don't,
1: Yeah, I think that you know, it's to a certain extent with anything where you pay more for it, you would expect that you get more for it. But Mailchimp is, you know, it's fully functional. It's not like a you know, you know useless piece of software that you only use because it's free you know lots of people use it and pay for it because it's that valuable it's you know with any of these tools there's you know pros and cons price is going to be a big part of it but there's also functionality there's also which one are you most experienced in and all these kind of things and there's you know benefits to all of them but Mm. to be able to try it for free is you know pretty compelling and you know it makes sense for them to do that as well because that's their you know their usp versus these other ones is you've got to pay money up front and not everyone wants to take that risk so sure. yeah
0: well Calvin, 12 really useful tools there for the 12 days of christmas now new year is coming upon us soon and a bit of exciting news you, you've finally um bagged that interview with seth haven't you
1: yes yeah I mean it's been been a long time coming unfortunately, after the huge technical problems that I had and then he had to work on his new book, so that took up a lot of his time but yeah we're very lucky to have probably the most successful business and marketing writer of the last decade, um Seth Godin interviewed in the next show so I've talked to him about his um new book um the what he's you know you know his more general opinion on internet marketing and you know how he goes about and who who he looks to for inspiration online so Mm. you know it was a really in-depth interview some really interesting things we're putting that together and that'll be coming out the um the tail end of january so yeah make sure you you know if you don't already subscribe to the show make sure you do so you get that as soon as it comes out mr
0: seth godin and i think that's it isn't it any uh, bits of news or anything else you want to tell us about before we Um sign off
1: well, I mean, there is the one, the one huge bit of news is real-time search over the last couple of days that, um, right. you know, from a search perspective, Google are now starting to show Twitter results, um, you know, in in their news results. I don't think this is going to last forever. In fact, actually, I reckon by the time a lot of people listen to this, they might well have rolled that back a bit because it's just getting spammed to death. Oh, but really? um, right. Yeah, I mean, it, you effectively give someone, um, you know, how hard is it to get to number one for for a term? And if... Know real hard effort, real investment. You know to do that, but now if someone could just tweet that and keep doing it every two seconds, and then be right. number one result for that, that you know it's getting all kinds of spam. So I, they either need to refine it so they only show people who are trusted, or mm. they need to take it away. They kind of rolled it out because they were scared that everyone else was doing real-time search a bit more than them and i think it was you know it might come back to to bite um, google in the bum on that one so yeah there's lots of people who have written out there written about it there's a, you know we've done a post about it linking out to some of the best ones on the site this blog so if anyone wants to look at site visibility.co.uk forward slash blog um but have a look on search engine land as well they've done some interesting stuff on it as well so yeah that's that's the real big news but actually i it's a hard one because it's well, it's such big news that everyone's talked about it to such an extent. I don't think I can add anything new to it, <laughs> but, um, no. but but yeah, no, definitely worth um, knowing about if you haven't already picked up, up on that.
0: Okay, well, look, let us two sign off, and then after the break, we'll roll that interview that uh, I did with Ian Oswald of Procasts, the uh, screen casting experts, and how you can use screen casting in your marketing. So it's goodbye from me, Andy White.
1: And goodbye from me, Kelvin Newman.
0: Have a great Christmas, folks, and uh, interview with Ian Oswald coming up after the jingle. All the best. Well, I'm sitting here with Mr. Ian Oswald. Ian, thanks for joining us again on Internet Marketing. Hello again, Andy. Thanks for having me. Now, a lot of water has passed under the bridge, hasn't it, in the in the sort of um, screencasting world. And I just thought we'd uh, have you in again just to uh, give some uh, some tips and advice on people that are perhaps thinking of using screencasting probably mainly as a as a marketing tool. Absolutely. Um,
2: Quite a lot has changed uh, in the field. There's certainly more software available. There are easier ways to start up for free and to progress to, uh, to better quality editing software. Uh, and so, yes, I think a, a catch-up is in order for using screencasting for marketing.
0: I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably have been thinking about screencasting as a great way of uh, either marketing perhaps a website or some sort of software tool that they've done. What's the, um, because I suspect they probably don't know where to start, what's the easiest way sort of to make a first screencaster?
2: So uh, this is one of the questions that I'm asked uh, by uh, people who want to get into screencasting, particularly small to medium-sized companies who have never tried it before. There are some great free packages out there, and one that uh, is well-known is called Jing from TechSmith, that's spelled J-I-N-G. Uh, and uh, on my blog for the handbook that I'm writing about screencasting, I've got a video that shows you, it's just on the blog, it uh, shows you how to get started uh, and make your first screencast within 30 minutes with Jing. Uh, and there'll be uh, a link to that uh, that we can... Uh, I can I've can. i got a, a write-up which I uh, will link to later on.
0: Yeah, we've actually got a tiny URL link, haven't we, to mm, that yes, of course. particular blog post, which is tinyurl.com slash screencast. So if you just go along to that, you'll see Ian's done a post with various links and bits and bobs in that we're talking about. Is that the only one, Ian, Jing? I have heard of Jing.
2: Uh, no, it's not the only one, uh, and I know that you've uh, used it for some of your screencasting already. And it's, uh, it's yeah. just a nice package. It works on Windows and Mac. Uh, you download it, it starts to run, and then it records the screen, and then it pipes the video online into some free storage, which you can embed into your site. So it's super easy to get started with it. But also on Windows, uh, BB Flashback from uh, the BB Corporation, they've released a free version of their software, which is great for recording. It hasn't got editing in the free version, that's in the Pro version. Uh, but with the free version you can record any part of the screen including moving video and then automatically uh, upload the video to YouTube or save it as an AVI and on, uh, on the Macintosh, with Snow Leopard, the uh, QuickTime Pro is now included for free. And that includes a screen recording facility. So you can make screencasts with QuickTime Pro. Mm. And, and uh, with Jing, you can also upgrade for $15 between either platform. And uh, there you get some extra features, including the ability to download an MP4 video at the end of recording, which you can then edit uh, on the Mac, for example, with uh, iMovie and those kind of applications. Yeah,
0: I think, um, I mean, I'm a Mac user, but I haven't actually upgraded to Snow Leopard yet. I think people are slowly moving over, aren't they? It's worth knowing that there's actually a sort of of built-in facility there for screencasting.
2: It's quite exciting, I think, because it opens up the world of screencasting to every Mac user. Mm. So many people can begin to experiment and uh, just see how it works for free.
0: Just actually, I've just realised it's probably a good idea for for me as the presenter to explain what a screencast is as opposed to a video. It's basically uh, where you're showing what's happening on your screen. So it's not like a normal video where it might be some people or some sort of external shot It's actually showing what's happening on your screen. It's a way of capturing what you're doing on your screen uh, so you can show people later. Now... I know that with a lot of these sort of beginning type bits of software such as Jing and that it's it's nice and easy but you you don't necessarily have the ability to edit do you and I mean what if what if you want to go to the next stage and sort of be able to edit what you've captured on your screen
2: and editing is absolutely crucial to produce uh, a nicely finished video um with the free packages typically you can't do any editing that's the limitation Um, by upgrading to uh, better software you get the ability to edit normally that means that the basics you can cut out frames that aren't necessary so areas where either you've made a mistake or you've just paused to gather your thoughts and take a breath and you just need to cut out those few seconds Uh, and more powerful editing includes applying zooms and panning around the screen so you can record a large screen and then zoom in to focus the user's attention on just the things that really matter and also fading between different scenes so you can record scenes independently and stitch them together Uh, and also applying text annotations on screen so you can back up what you're discussing and showing with on-screen text uh, or visuals uh, which just help back up the message uh, and use uh, different modalities to explain the concept to the user Um, on Windows uh, Camtasia is probably the best package it's the most fully featured um, that costs uh, I believe around 300 US dollars um, and from BB Flashback their pro version is around 100 UK pounds uh, it's not quite as fully featured as Camtasia but it's, uh, it's pretty good it's not a bad bit of software at all Uh, And on the Mac, there are two main contenders. There's ScreenFlow 2 and there's the recently launched uh, Camtasia from TechSmith. Um, Both packages have a similar feature set and a similar price point of around 100 US dollars. uh, And both are very capable packages. Uh, And... uh, the one thing that's uh, missing in this uh, is the world of Linux screencasting. Uh, it's quite young, but it's growing up. There, are, I believe there is at least one commercial package, but there's certainly the free Record My Desktop, and a few nice open-source editors, including KDN Live and Pitivi. Um, both have a little learning curve, but if you're using uh, Unix software, then uh, those packages are pretty good uh, for recording what you need. I
0: remember earlier, actually, uh, Ian, before we started this interview, you were showing me some stats, weren't you, of... Uh what people are using screencasting for, what, 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 what do they reveal? What are, what are most people using screencasting for?
2: Mm, and so um, I gathered those stats for the screencasting handbook that I'm writing, and I wanted to make sure that I was presenting the right topics to the readers of the handbook. So I asked them all, um, were they making homepage demo videos, or were they making videos that went onto a product tour page, or both the topics there for marketing, or were they making tutorial videos? And it turns out the majority, 80% of the people interested in the handbook, are making tutorial videos videos, but roughly 40% are making one or the other kind of marketing video. Uh, And that's because it's being increasingly recognised that having uh, a one to three minute demo uh, on your homepage or in the tour that shows the software in action, shows you exactly why you should use it, which problem it's solving, so you know straight away that this uh, this software does solve the problem that you've got. There's no point searching elsewhere and trying to figure out if a competitor solution does the job, but this one, it really does it, you can see it. Uh, It's quite clear that video is a great way to get that message across. Now, you mentioned one to three minutes there. Is that. Is, is that presumably the ideal sort of length you should
0: be aiming for for a sort of marketing screencast?
2: For a marketing video, absolutely. Um, some people uh, end up running a feature tour uh, and they try to uh, list all of the points that the software covers, and they take 5, 10, 15 minutes sometimes mm. just listing each point, uh, and that's the wrong way to go. Really, you want to give a short demo. The shorter, the better, because people have short attention spans. One minute is ideal, but normally a bit too short to give a compelling demo. Three minutes is about the maximum attention you're going to get from about 80% of your viewers. So you want to keep your video under three minutes, um, and in that you want to show, really you want to show a nice story, so walk the user through something that's relevant to their problem, showing what the problem is and how you solve it, and then telling the user how to get started afterwards with your software, so everything they need to know is answered in those three minutes.
0: Now moving on to the audio side of things, which is of course something I'm I'm, I'm quite used to, because I'm not really a video person, I'm an audio person, are there any special sort of things you should think about in terms of what you're saying, sort of the narration of the, of the video, Any any tips there?
2: Mm, That's an interesting question. Scripting is very, very important. So you need to think about the script beforehand, uh, Mm. and you need to be always uh, taking away as much jargon as possible so that you are talking in a clear language that your user will understand so jargon free, uh, speaking slowly and clearly as you would do for a podcast because many of your viewers could be elsewhere in the world uh, and maybe they haven't got your language as their primary language and that's why it's also useful in the video to back up the message on screen with either subtitles or text annotations because they help foreign language speakers to understand the message that's coming across and of course you want uh, a nice microphone with a a decent uh, audio setup and then the blog post that you'll find at uh, tinyurl.com slash imscreencast uh, I link to three videos that Andy made recently for his book uh, Podcasting Unleashed Uh, and in these three videos they're just in a blog post and they show three microphones uh, in action uh, along with some audio technique for each of them and if you don't know a lot about audio technique and how different microphones work in the 50 to 300 pound range of microphones phones then it's uh, very worthwhile taking a look at Andy's videos because uh, they really do just make it very very clear
0: yeah it's worth looking at those actually because it's surprising isn't it especially when we talk about the uh, what I what I call my my high-end mic which is the SE electronics actually it does have a definite front and back and that's true I also of a couple of other condenser mics including the uh, the Samsung C01U so definitely take a look at those because it's a good idea to, it'll it'll save you literally hours of, of
2: Trial and error, like I did when I first. Well, tried and it. Uh, better than saving you hours of trial and error, it'll save you from unpacking your lovely new SE twenty two hundred mic. As I did, I've got the one down from Andy's, uh, and then being incredibly disappointed at the flat and uh, just just very boring sound uh, before you uh, you go and tell somebody like Andy, who then says, "Have you got it the right way round?"
0: <laughs> Moving on swiftly, I'm interested in the the sort of when you're doing a tour of a piece of software, if you're trying to explain mm-hmm. someone. How do you do a tour of software? Should it be sort of like you know, sort of a straight feature tour, or are there some
2: tips and techniques so for doing that? So definitely avoid that feature tour. Um, certainly there are plenty of videos online which are, which are basically uh, a voiceover applied to a PowerPoint, and they're awful. They're, they're, they're just monotonous, um, and the speaker clearly hasn't thought about the needs of the end viewer. What do you want to be doing? Assume you've got 10 of your key new users in the room, They're sitting in front of your laptop. You can't talk directly to them, so you can't ask them questions, but you can narrate towards them. And you've got three minutes. What are you going to say that really captures their attention whilst uh, demonstrating on screen? Mm. And if you can explain your software in three minutes to this audience, uh, imagine they're sitting behind um, a one-way mirror, so you can't see if they're smiling or frowning, if they're nodding, or if they're walking out on you. You've got three minutes. You've got to give that demo. What's the right demo that you would give to this audience, the most compelling, featureful uh, demo? One that always springs to mind and for me, uh, it's, uh, if you're a software developer and you know Ruby on Rails... Then um, about, uh, I think about five years ago, uh, Ruby on Rails um, came to the fore, and it came to the fore because uh, one of the creators um, created a uh, make a blog in 15 minutes uh, video, and this was a live demo showing how to code up an entire blog in uh, the Ruby on Rails system in just 15 minutes. Now, 15 minutes, that's awfully long for a marketing video. You'd never do that. But showing this to programmers who would know that this could take up to a week to create another programming language languages they just sat there in awe i sat there in awe Mm. for 15 minutes watching this thinking you can't do it that quickly that's impossible and it was an absolutely amazing video and it was just done off the cuff he just sat there and talked through what he was doing whilst he coded this up it was a beautiful live demo full of the right context and full of the right story telling me exactly what i needed to know now would you have because i know time is, is is moving on we need to be
0: quite brief three top tips for people embarking on on screencasting some other tips perhaps the three top tips you could give
2: Okay, first top tip would be to always uh, always think about the needs of the end user. So if you're not uh, addressing their needs, then they're never going to care about your video, it doesn't matter how polished it is. So you have to think about who your viewer is, um, what their needs are, uh, what their experience is, and then make sure you craft the shortest, clearest demo for them. Uh, the second tip would be... Uh, you've considered the needs of the viewer and uh, to make now you want to make the clearest and most compelling demo for them. So you want to practice beforehand. So run through the software a couple of times and just make sure you're telling the right story and then uh, just draft out a rough script. It could be a few lines on paper. It could be that you've written down every line of the narration, but get that all planned and on paper. Uh, and then the third tip... Um, make sure you've got a really nice audio setup. If you're making marketing videos, you cannot have uh, poppy, crackly sounds. You can't have uh, you can't have uh, the sound of birds flying around outside and uh, planes buzzing past and people talking. You certainly can't have street noises and the like. They're fine in tutorials. You can get away with that. But in a marketing video, you need to have a nice microphone, a quiet recording environment, a soft and well-measured voice just to give you a really nice, clear, professional narration track.
0: And just to finish off, uh, do tell us about uh, I know that you're writing a book, The Screencasting Handbook and I mm-hmm. know that you've also got a very useful resource a Google
2: group here, and tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so The the Screencasting Handbook has grown out of my professional screencasting company. I've had many companies come to me to say that they want to produce their own videos, but they needed to, uh, they needed to learn the skills themselves and so I decided to write a handbook on the subject. So if you visit the ScreencastingHandbook.com, you'll find uh, the, the homepage explaining what's in the book, and uh, the, the handbook i'm writing it at the moment it'll be finished early 2010 the aim is to teach you everything you need to know about making any kind of screencast uh, be it for tutorials or marketing or product support anything that uh, you need along with some other uh, interesting uses of screencasting it covers windows mac and linux um, free software paid for software and lots of things like workflow technique what's the most efficient way to work and what's the best way to set up your recording environment so you're recording cleanly and quickly and you can produce uh, nice and fast and um, One thing that uh, always bothered me with books is that it's very hard to get help uh, when you can't reach the author or anyone else who's reading the book. So I set up a Google group, and that's free to join. So if you've got any screencasting questions, come to the Screencasting Handbook website uh, and have a look for the Google group. You'll find over 100 screencasters in there on different platforms. Just join the group. It's free of charge. uh, And then ask your questions in there, and uh, we'll help you move on with your screencasting questions. That's terrific. Ian Oswald of the Screencasting Handbook,
0: thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Andy. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com, and feel free to send in MP3 files as well, and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management categories. Or you can find us at FeedBurner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off. Wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing.